All right, very good. Well, in the name of Jesus, uh, dear friends in Christ, and happy Palm Sunday to you. I invite your attention to the screen, and that is not the Nittany Lion, as we figured out before. But it is an image, it's a graphic that some of you may have seen before, and for some of you it may be the first time that you've laid your eyes on this. The artist who created this drawing titled it, uh, or centered it around the question, I should say, what kind of lady do you see? So I'd like you to look at that screen for a moment and see if you indeed see a lady in that picture. Now, how many of you, by a show of hands, see in that picture a beautiful younger lady? Okay? All right, very good. You can put your hands down, please. How many of you, when looking at that screen, don't see a beautiful younger lady, but rather you see someone that might resemble more like a witch? If you'd raise your hands there, okay? And don't worry, there's no deep psychological reason behind why you may see one or the other. Well, the question is, what kind of lady do you see? Well, what's the correct answer? In this optical illusion, it is both. It's a classic optical illusion. It's been around for a while. There is both contained in there a beautiful younger lady and more of a witch-like individual. Now, the artist who created this piece of work uh, some decades back originally titled it My Wife and My Mother-in-Law. Now, he, some research shows he changed that pretty quickly, and probably with good reason, and it's been ever known ever since as the hag and the beautiful lady. Now, different people will see different images within that, and when I did it with my own family about a week ago, about half my family were, were drawn to see the beautiful lady, and the other half, the other individual. So I'll just point out real quickly, you follow the red dot of the laser pen in case you don't see both. I'm going to show you the older lady first. This is her white scarf. This is her brown hair. This is her eye. This is the bottom part of her rather large nose. On there is a hair, a wart. You can see the upper lip, the chin, the fur coat. Okay. Now, the beautiful younger lady is also wearing a white scarf, but she's facing off in the distance, wearing the scarf differently. Brown hair, a dainty little ear, the bottom part of her chin, her petite nose, and her eyelash. So what kind of lady do you see? Well, it all depends on your point of view and what you're looking for in this optical illusion. Well, on that first Palm Sunday, a great crowd of people gathered in Jerusalem to see Jesus. And the question is, what kind of king is he? Who was he? What kind of king? What kind of leader was he? Because different people saw in the same Jesus a different type of king. From our gospel text today that Sharon read from John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13 once again. The next day the great crowd had come for the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. Now Jesus on this first Palm Sunday is making his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And when you think about it, it's really a very remarkable event. It's something that's recorded in all four Gospels, and it's really unlike anything in the life of Jesus so far in his years of public ministry up to this point. Because up to this point in his life, more or less, when he would perform a miracle, he would teach a lesson, he would deliver a sermon, then often he would withdraw from the crowd. He'd get away from the public for a while. But today on Palm Sunday, he's making a very public entry into Jerusalem. 
And there was a great crowd that day, as Scripture says, in Jerusalem. He indeed was receiving a king's welcome. Scholars estimate that the population of Jerusalem probably increased by tenfold during Passover week because of the increased number of visitors. And it was Passover week, and it was time for Jesus. Now, in the five prevailing days following Palm Sunday, as Brenda talked about in the children's message, the sentiment from Jesus is going to go from waving palm branches to wanting to literally drive nails in the palms of his flesh, from wanting to chant Hosanna to the king to wanting to jeer him and to chant crucify him, from wanting to use a part of a tree, a palm branch, to hail him to literally wanting to use a part of a tree to nail him, to nail him to his death. So what kind of king is he? Well, verse 13 of our text that I just read a few minutes ago says the people were chanting that day, blessed is the king of Israel. Now, you have to realize that many of the Jewish people at that time, they were hurting. They had been chafing under a number of centuries of either oppression, foreign domination, invasion at the hands of different foreign enemies, whether it had been the Assyrians, or the Babylonians, or the Persians, or the Greeks, or now they're under the yoke of the mighty Roman Empire. And many of them longed for a day. Back to the good old days of King David, their greatest king, when Israel was at its peak of power. Um, Many looked forward to that day when Israel was, once again, as they were during the time of David, a rather major player in the Middle East scene. They were putting their faith in a Jesus, in a king, in a Messiah, that they hoped would restore the splendor and restore the glory of Israel that they enjoyed when David, their second king, ruled and then his son Solomon, the third king, ruled a united monarchy. Now Jesus, at this point in his life, had quite a following. In John's Gospel, the miracle of the raising of Lazarus, which we talked about three weeks ago or so in a message, had, along with other miracles and teachings of Jesus, created quite a buzz around him. He indeed had his following. And of course, the raising of the dead from Lazarus sealed in the minds of the religious leaders that this Jesus, this so-called king of the Jews, he must go. He's got to die. He is a threat. So again, what kind of king is he? So Jesus rides into Jerusalem, as we see in our text today from John, to the loud shouts of Hosanna and palm branches being laid at his feet. But note how Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, because it really speaks volumes. He rides into Jerusalem on Passover week on a colt of a donkey. And this is a detail that all four gospel writers include in their Palm Sunday account, and I think that's significant. And again, he wasn't riding on a donkey because he couldn't find a white stallion to rent that day in Jerusalem. He came in as a king to fanfare and cheers, but he entered on a donkey. And Jesus is making a claim about the kind of Messiah that he is by riding in on a donkey. It's a dramatic fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that was read today from one of our readings from the book of Zechariah. Again, Zechariah 9.9, Scripture says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 sure sounds an awful lot like what happened on that first Palm Sunday, doesn't it? 
And it was. John in our text today, John 12, 15, includes this prophecy because this is indeed what happened. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, it was one of over 300 prophecies that are in the Old Testament, references to the coming Messiah that are fulfilled perfectly in the Gospels, in the birth, in the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus, by riding into town on that young donkey, is proclaiming he's the Messiah. The long-awaited king has arrived. But sometimes I think the following point is missed in this familiar story. Not only is Jesus proclaiming he's the Messiah, the king has come, but when he rides in on that donkey, he's proclaiming he's a certain kind of king and a certain kind of Messiah. Now, if you think about when you go to the zoo, either when you were young or you take your children or grandchildren to the zoo, you know, think of some of the most favorite animals you hope to look for, whether it was a camel or an elephant or a tiger, whatever it was. I don't know if many of you had as your favorite animal the donkey. Maybe you did. Sometimes in the Western world, we've tended to view the donkey as rather a lowly animal, uh, an animal that maybe is despised. We have the word ass. But in the East at that time, the ancient Near East, it was viewed with a little more uh, regality. It was a little more considered a noble animal. And kings at that time, if they rode into town on a, on a horse, they came in on a horse, it signified that they were coming in either conquest or war. They were bent on that. But if a ruler or a king chose to ride in on a donkey, it would signify it would mean he was coming in peace. And Jesus is the king of kings. He is the prince of peace. And he's on a mission of peace. And he is a spiritual messiah. Jesus is painting a clear picture on that Palm Sunday. That the king has come. The messiah is here. And the type of king he is. And by riding in on a donkey, it stands in stark contrast to the power and the pride and the pomp of the Roman Empire. Because Jesus is not a warrior type of king in the mold of David or Rambo or some other fierce uh, king that they may be thinking of that would liberate them from the hands of the Roman army. Jesus was not about political liberation. He was not about political kingdoms or political transformation. He was a spiritual king. He was a Messiah, the promised son of God. So when Jesus talked about spiritual liberation, he was talking about freeing them, freeing you and me from the power of sin, death, and the devil, not from the hands of the Romans. When he taught about a spiritual kingdom, it was not about establishing an independent Jewish state. He talked about spiritual and not earthly power and transformation. The people lining the streets of Jerusalem that day to see the king were definitely drawn to him. There was a great crowd. And probably there were a variety of reasons and motivations behind that. Some were hoping for a king that would free him from the Romans. So some of them would have been agitators and people hoping for liberation. Others were spectators. They're along for the ride because this was the popular guy at the time. Others were drawn because of his teachings. And our text today from John 12, 17 says, Others were drawn in by his miracles. Now the crowd that was with him that day, um, and this is following the raising of Lazarus from the dead, continued to spread the word. Verse 18, many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. 
Now, there's no doubt that day that some people believed in the teachings of Jesus, that he was the long-expected Messiah, the promised one, that God made to Adam and Eve in the garden, a promise he really made to you and me when sin entered into the world, that he would send us Messiah, his son, a savior to rescue us from our sins. But there were also people that day who hated him. We saw three weeks ago when we looked at the story of Jesus miraculously raising his friend Lazarus from the dead that many of the Jewish leaders in John eleven fifty three they hated Jesus. As a matter of fact, we read from there that in their eyes from that day on they plotted how to take his Jesus' life because he had to go. He was a threat. And the same thing is true a couple days later on Palm Sunday. In the crowd that day, and we see from our text John twelve nineteen. The Pharisees said to one another on that Palm Sunday, See, this is getting us nowhere. He, Jesus, must die. We must get rid of him because the whole world is going after him. The whole world is going after him. So they feared. They were so threatened and frustrated by this Jesus. And even Jesus' own disciples, if we back up in our text three verses, John 12, 16, Scripture says at first day, the disciples did not fully understand either all that was going on. And that confusion would continue throughout the rest of Holy Week, including Good Friday and the events of Easter Sunday and beyond. And the Gospels at times show the confusion the disciples had regarding Jesus. Sometimes they were perplexed by the kind of kingdom that he was talking about. They didn't always get the type of king that he was all meant to be. At times you see in the Gospels the the disciples arguing among themselves uh, who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom? Who would sit at Jesus' left hand? Who would sit at his right hand? Confusion. But the crowds were big that first Palm Sunday for Jesus. And the palms and the hosannas were abundant. But in a few days they'll be chanting crucify him and cheering his death. Now, I'm rather a history buff, and so, as you probably noticed, occasionally I'll use a historical analogy or something in a sermon. And today I wanted to share another analogy, and I read a book a couple years ago, a very good book. It's called When the Cheering Stopped, and it's the story of President Woodrow Wilson in the aftermath of World War I. Now, World War I ended in 1918, and following World War I and the victory that the Allies had, Woodrow Wilson was a very popular man throughout the world, especially in the United States and Europe. There was a great spirit of optimism throughout America and Europe that, indeed, Wilson was the bringer of peace, and that the successful conclusion of World War I had meant that this would now be the war to end all wars, that the world had been made safe for democracy, And there was an idealistic notion that now war could actually be a thing of the past. Now following the conclusion of the war in November of 1918, the next month, November, or December, excuse me, of 1918, the next month, Wilson went on a victory tour of Europe. He first went to Paris. And he was hailed in the capital of France as a hero. It was said that he was more popular in France than their own country's war heroes. Then he went to England. Then he went to Italy. He got the same treatment. And it was said in December of 1918, among the children of Europe, Woodrow Wilson was even more popular among kids than Santa Claus. Find that hard to believe. That's what they say. And had there been a Gallup presidential approving tracking mechanism in the United States in 1918, probably Woodrow Wilson's public approval in America would have been 90% or higher. But the cheering did not last long. 
Shortly after World War I, the leaders of Europe became more concerned and consumed with their own agendas than taking the steps necessary to create a lasting peace. At home, Woodrow Wilson's uh, League of Nations concept ran into stiff opposition in the United States Senate, and the Senate ended up killing that treaty. Under the strain of all of it, in early 1919, Wilson's health faded. Then he suffered a debilitating stroke, And in 1920, his party lost big in the elections to the Republicans. So a man who had barely, a few months earlier, been hailed the new world Messiah, bringer of peace, ended his days a broken and defeated man. Now Jesus similarly experienced the great cheers of the crowd, the popularity that first Palm Sunday. The leafy palm branches were laid before him and the shouts of Hosanna rang out. Many people also had many notions about the kind of peace, the kind of kingdom that he would be bringing. But like President Woodrow Wilson after World War I, the cheering for Jesus is not going to last very long that Palm Sunday. Now in addition to Historical illustration, sometimes I'll use an illustration of food in a sermon too, so I'm going to do the same today. So I apologize, up front, we're getting lunchtime, I'm probably going to make you very hungry. But if you're on the church's Facebook page, I threw out a, a teaser question as Pastor Dave and I have been doing the last couple of weeks leading up to a sermon. And the teaser question this week was, if you like to go out for a good hamburger, which many of us do, uh, what are some of your favorite toppings or some of the most unusual toppings that you or others may put on that hamburger? Well, as you might guess, I do enjoy a good burger myself. And one of my favorite places locally is one of these true build-your-own-burger kind of concepts where you walk in and they give you a worksheet full of all kinds of choices. And you fill it out and they make you a custom-made burger with whatever topping you want. Now, this particular place, which is my favorite, uh, there's eight categories you can pick from. So this is a big deal. So first, you pick your kind of meat. Six-ounce Angus, eight-ounce Angus, Kobe beef, buffalo, turkey, salmon, chicken. Okay. Then how do you want your burger cooked? Then the next category, very important, the type of bun. Very strategic decision. White, wheat, multigrain, pretzel. Then you get to pick from 12 different kinds of cheeses. It's pretty cool. Then there's a section of normal condiments that you can put on burgers. Then there's a whole section of bizarre veggies that you can put on. I don't spend a whole lot of time on that section. Probably should. (laughs) And then we go to a premium section where you can get all kinds of things added for just a little bit extra. Bacon, caramelized onions, um, tater tots actually inside your hamburger, potato chips, peanut butter. And some of you like these toppings because you listed it on the Facebook page. Anything you want. Couple other categories, sign your name, turn it into the waitstaff person. 20 minutes later, they bring you your custom-made order burger. I think many times in life, we try to craft Jesus. We try to craft our God in a similar way as we build our own hamburger. Sometimes it's so tempting to build our custom-made Jesus to match our needs and our tastes and our likes and our greeds and exactly how we want God to be, just like perhaps the people fell subject to that Palm Sunday. Now, when I go to one of those burger places, I don't always probably make the healthiest choices, okay? Or in other words, the Tim Ewell burger they bring out is probably not the best thing for me. But it's what I want. It's what I like. It's what I ordered. And there may be three or four other people at the table with me, and they each have their own uniquely crafted, very different burger. 
Now, in the world of eating, it's okay to go out sometimes and just have a hamburger that's really bad for you, okay? Um, But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our Lord, it doesn't work that way. We can't pick the characteristics, the attributes of God, the topping, so to speak, that we want to include in our God. Sometimes I think we're all tempted, I know I'm as well, to pick and choose and craft God into my own image of what I want. To maybe pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I want to follow and maybe declare other parts of the Bible, well, that doesn't apply to me, it doesn't apply to the world, it doesn't apply to society today. It's fine to do it with burgers, but we can't do it with our Lord because what happens is we make a God, we make our personalized king into a little genie. We rub his belly for our wants. Or so we think. And it's not the God of the Bible. Jesus is who he is. He is the king of kings. He is the only son of God who God sent into this world as promised. To live that perfect life we can't lead. Uh, To suffer and die that death that we deserve on the cross. That we're going to be focusing so much on this coming holy, this passion week. Because the penalty of sin is death. And Jesus took your place and he took my place on the cross for every sin ever committed or to be committed. Every sin, every person born to ever be born. Jesus went there and his blood covers it all. And he rose again on Easter morning, conquering the power of sin, death, and the devil. Spiritual liberation. So that all who believe in him will have life eternal someday. Amen? And in response to that tremendous grace and mercy and love of what our God has done for us, he calls us to follow him as the king, to lead a life of service, to follow a king who washes feet, a king who does feet and calls us to do the same. When we try to create our own God, our own customized king of kings, our own personalized Jesus, I think we fall prey to the tendency to start to forget that hell is still hot, that heaven is very real, that sin is still wrong, that the Bible is indeed the word of God, and that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Amen? May we this Palm Sunday, all of us, including our soon-to-be first-time recipients of Holy Communion, and what a wonderful faith-stepping stone that is, and we celebrate that with you today. May we all today, this Holy Week and beyond, remember the King who we serve. The good news of Palm Sunday is that God in his grace and his mercy loved us so much. He did send that king into Jerusalem on a donkey to save you and me. May we be passionate each and every day to share the good news with all whom we come into contact with about the kind of God and the kind of king that we serve so that indeed the whole world someday may be going after him. In the name of Jesus, Hosanna to the King. Amen.